0: What an incredible day to be in the house of God. Yeah, you can grab a seat.
1: You excited to be in church this morning? So, I heard this is the, this is the service that's going to talk back. Y'all going y'all gonna to get a little rowdy today? I just want you to know, I'll be comfortable if you're rowdy. That's, my name is Bobby. Uh, man, I am, I am honored to be here. I told the 930 service um, this. You have incredible pastors. Come on. And I, I understand the custom is this, that if you go speak at someone's church, you're supposed to say something good about the pastor. That's like, I understand that's the custom, but can I tell you, I mean this genuinely from the bottom of my heart. From the moment we met in that green room, uh, I quickly found Pastor Eddie on Instagram. I probably followed him like a year before he followed me, but that's a... Because I was like, I want the wisdom that this man, this, this couple have. I want to glean from them. Uh, I remember we were out here last summer, and I was like, oh, if I could just grab lunch. You know, and like, I'm serious. And so y'all have incredible pastors to, for Megan and I and our family. It is such an honor to be here this morning, to have the opportunity to share what God's placed uh, in our heart for today. And so, uh, yeah, my family is with me, my beautiful wife, Megan, and my firstborn sitting right here on the front row. Uh, they have a photo of the whole family because the other two are in kids' ministry. That's all I'll Look at that. Simon doesn't have long hair anymore. Uh, Ezra over here, he doesn't have long hair anymore. Their cousin told them they, uh, they got it cut like two months ago, and he said, y'all went from uh, surfer dude to tax man real fast. Um, but that's us. That's us. That's the family, and uh, we're excited to be here this morning. If you have your Bible, I'm going to jump in. Um, we're going to start. We're going to be in Second Samuel nine. Uh, we're going to jump into this story before I read the text today. Just give you maybe a heads up on where we're at. Like, like, where is this point in the text? Um, 2 Samuel 9 is the story of David uh, when he just became king. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're probably familiar with David. Even if you don't know much about the Word of God, you're definitely probably familiar with David. David and Goliath. David, uh, the man after God's own heart. Uh, the nation of Israel existed for, you know, hundreds of years. This was God's people, and they existed without a king. Uh, for a long time. They had judges that would rule over the land uh, as God chose, and um, there came a point in time when the nation of Israel, they wanted a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations, and God allowed them this um, opportunity to, to have a king. Though he would have preferred to have remained their king, uh, he allowed them to, to walk down this path. And the first king, his name was Saul, and when he was chosen, he looked like a great choice. He was tall and good-looking and and uh, and and picked out of, the, uh, of a crowd because he was working and what he was doing and God sort of handpicked him in that moment uh, based off the request of the Israel people and um, the truth is this king was a bad king At first, it looked like he was going to be someone who did what God wanted to do, but in the long run, he ended up doing what he wanted to do, uh, and he became selfish. And so in all this interaction, what happens is David gets anointed king by Samuel. He would be the second king. He gets anointed king, and however, it took him like 20 years to become king. So he's anointed. God said, you're going to do this, but 20 years has to go by before he actually walks into the thing God has called him to. You might be here today and be like, God, I know you told me I'm gonna be doing X, Y, and Z. And you've lasted six months and you're like going, God, where are you at? I thought you said don't lose faith, don't lose heart on what God said He was gonna accomplish in your life. Just because it doesn't happen tomorrow does not mean that God is not moving and in God's timing. Come on, come on, restoration in God's timing things can happen. Stay patient. Trust God in the process. If David would abandon God's uh, command in the process, he would have walked away from God's promise in his future. And uh, far too often, I think in today's fast-paced, fast food world, everything we want now, we abandon God's promises because we can't wait on God's process. And so that's not in my notes or thinking for today. That's just extra. And so David, David finally becomes king after 20 years. There's a psalm. I think it's like Psalm one thirty-three or one twenty-three. Pastor Eddie will correct me later and let me know which one it is. Um, it's a it, we pull this. Uh, this saying in church life, unity commands a blessing. You ever heard that saying? It comes from this Psalm that David wrote. And the Psalm was when he unified the kingdom of Israel all underneath his kingship. He he brought them back together because Judah was separated from Israel and he was the king of Judah. This is the moment. And it it says that um, he wrote this Psalm and it's beautiful. You you should look into it later. And um, he's now king. And that's what we get up to here at this point. He's king and he wants to do something. So if you got your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to read a few verses. It says, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. He said, yes sir, I am. Ziba replied. The king asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. I want to pause right here for just a second because that statement that David makes here is so important for us to understand. He said, I want to show God's kindness to them. Has anyone ever experienced the kindness that comes from God? Come on, make some noise. Have you ever experienced the kindness that comes from God? Man, isn't that a beautiful thing? Because God's kindness comes to us, uh, not because we deserve it, but because it's who God is. And David was the man who had experienced the kindness kindness of God when he didn't even deserve it. And he said, if I'm going to be someone who has experienced the kindness of God, I'm going to be someone who dispenses the kindness of God. And I believe God has called us to this as a church today. If you've you've read in the New Testament, in in the book of Romans, it, it tells us this, that it is the kindness of God. God that draws us to repentance. God's kindness is what leads us to repentance, what leads us to him. It's not the fear of hell that leads us to God. It's not not bitterness that leads us to God. No, it is God's kindness that draws people to repentance. And if it is God's kindness that does that, I believe there is a a, a command on the church, there's a responsibility on the church to be the type of people like David was in the scripture that says, I'm going to show God's kindness to other people. And that's a big deal. We'll get into why that's a big deal in just... A moment. It says this. He says, Zeba replied, Yes, yes, someone's still alive of Saul's family. His name is, he's one of Jonathan's sons, and he is crippled in both feet. He says, Where is he? Zeba replies, In Lodabar, at the home of Makir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him before, uh, brought him from Makir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth? Oh, y'all did pretty good. You've read this before, huh? Mephibosheth, if If you're pregnant right now and you need a name for your son, Mephibosheth. Just saying, he was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Can we take a moment? Can we pray? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it is through your word that uh, that we are changed. God, that it is through your word that we discover more of who you are. God, we thank you, God, for your word. And as we come around your word today, God, we pray, God, that you will use it to change our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Let us see you more, know you more, reveal yourself to us more deeply. And we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for everything that you've already done in this service and everything you will continue to do in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a... It's a fun, interesting story um, because Mephibosheth, as we saw in the text, is the grandson of Saul, the, the king that raged against God. And, um, and David calls for him. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that, that Mephibosheth was hiding. You can see it in the text. The reason why you can see it in the text is because David was king. And if you're a king, you know your kingdom. You know where you're at. You know what's going on. You, you know the people. You know the environment. You're the king. And he goes, is there even anyone still alive? Mephibosheth is hiding out in some dude's home uh, trying to keep himself away from the king. He doesn't want to be found. And the reason why is there's a custom. There's a custom in day that is true that is real uh, here was the custom if you become king and you become king and there was a man before you that was king that was not part of your bloodline you just kill everybody just just kill them all his sons grand cousins don't matter just kill them all the reason why is because you didn't want someone to be in your in the in the kingdom that could lay claim to the throne that could say hey you know what Saul was king he was my granddad and so therefore it is rightful that I am king and so the custom would have been kill everybody protect the throne at all costs and so that's why this is such a big deal and when Mephibosheth comes in and he bows low and he, and he says I am your servant he he didn't come in like, I am your servant, King David. No, he came in trembling out of fear because he thought to himself, This is when I die. This is it, right here. I'm about to be a goner. It is not good. This is bad. And that, how do we know that? David said, Don't be afraid. If he came in bold, Hey, I'm your servant. Don't be afraid. That's a weird conversation. Uh, I, I'm, your, I'm your servant. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I want to show you kindness. He was hiding from David, the very man who could restore to him everything he lost. He was hiding from David, the one that could give him purpose and a future and a promise. He was hiding from the one that could bless him because he was convinced that he was an enemy of the king or that the king would view him as an enemy. And I just wonder, are there times with us today where we see God and we're convinced God will view us as the enemy so we hide from God? You know, there's a saying that I heard growing up. I, I Growing up, my... Um, Life was crazy. Uh, My dad left my mom when she was pregnant with me. She was 17 years old at the time. I have an older brother as well. Um, And uh, there's been a lot of drug use in my family, rehabs. Uh, My biological father um, committed suicide when I was in high school. And uh, there's been a lot of, like, crazy stuff in in life. Man, God was real kind to me. I, I don't really like if I was just to look at my life, I wouldn't go, man, that's someone who should be standing on the stage teaching the Word of God to a group of people. That, that wouldn't be the thing that comes to my mind. Uh, but I see the kindness of God revealed to me. If I was to treat God like, oh man, he probably thinks I'm the enemy, then I abandon everything God has for me. Um, Mephibosheth how do we know he was hiding? Not only the fact that David couldn't find him, didn't know he existed even, uh, but did you see the part where it said he was crippled in both feet? This is the story that what happened for Mephibosheth to get crippled in both feet. Um, when they found out that Jonathan and Saul died in battle, the nurse got word, and when she got word that he had died, they had died in battle, in her, in her haste, in her worry, in her concern, she, she gets everything she can from the house, and she's going to hide and protect Mephibosheth, and she picks him up in her haste as she's running out. She drops him. He's probably four or five years old, and when she drops him, she, he becomes crippled in both feet. Even in his haste to run from David, because he was convinced David would treat him like an enemy, he finds himself losing but David, David didn't treat him that way. Just like God doesn't treat us that way. Uh, if anybody got any kids in the room, anybody got any kids? Any, any proud parents in the room? Yeah. Proud parents in the room. That's good. That's good. Good. I'm glad. Um, you ever lost a child before? Just raise your hand if you ever lost a child before. Man, I got three kids. Um, I'll, I'll ask. Has your kid ever played hide and go seek with you and not told you he was playing hide and go seek with you? And he, you know oh, knows better, right? Yeah, yeah. So I have three kids. Um, one time, Simon, my firstborn over here, we lost him. And if you lose your firstborn, that's really, really scary. Um, if you got like three kids, by the time you got your third kid, you lose him. You're like, eh. <laughs> we'll find them somewhere around this place. Don't worry. But the firstborn, oh goodness, no. So um, uh, one time I was at a, in a meeting at the church. It was like 9.30 on a, a Tuesday morning. And uh, this was been 10 years ago. And Megan walks in and she goes, hey, babe, sorry. Um, I can't find Simon. And, and being the dad I am, I was like, what do you mean you can't find Simon? She's like. I can't find Simon. So I was like, ah. You know, I get up like, I'm gonna go out here and find it. I can't find the salt in the pantry. I was convinced I was gonna find my son. (laughs) (laughs) And so... So I got there now for, for context our, our church uh, in Wilson we have thirty acres of land it's, it's, it sounds impressive it 's rural North Carolina. We can get an acre of land for like thirty dollars i 'm kidding it's a little bit more a little bit more than that We have thirty acres of land we have a pond out back um, we have a busy uh, road in front of the church where tractor trailer trucks drive down all the time because there's uh, there's places there's factories down the road they pick up stuff from and it 's like fifty five mile an hour road and and she comes in, and when she tells me this, we're out, we're looking for Simon. I, all of a sudden, I realize we can't find Simon. It's like, like, she's right. So I'm getting nervous. There is At this point, we have interns and staff at the church. There's 20 people running around looking for Simon. And I, when I say looking for Simon, you know, it's like at first, like, Simon, child of mine, where are you at? Tell him I where are you at? Where are you at, kid? Answer, Simon. Where are you? I'm? I'm screaming. You know, Megan's screaming. She's crying. I'm crying. I'm like, "Where's this kid out?" I run out front on the front of the church property. I'm staring down the road, just praying to God. He didn't walk out the front doors at two year old. Uh, we had guys going back to the pond just to just in case. They're all over the place we're just freaking out and all of a sudden one of the girls on staff of the church her name is Kira she walks into the auditorium and everybody's out of the auditorium at this point you know we'd already searched in there and screamed in there because that's the biggest room and uh she walks in quietly and all of a sudden there was this section of chairs we had covered up with this big sheet and she hears this little <laughs> little two-year-old whimper coming from underneath the sheets she reads down, she picks that sheet up. She looks in. She's like, "Well, hey there, buddy. What are you doing?" <laughs> and uh, and and obviously, you know, we get him out. We find him. Praise God. I just wonder what was going through his mind when he was playing hide and go seek with his parents, and he thought it was all fun and games. And then he heard heard her tone, and then he heard. The way we were calling out his name, and he heard our, our, our anxiety and our stress in our voice. Now, I wonder at what point in time did his mind shift from, oh, this is fun, to, oh, no, I'm in so much trouble. Oh, no, when my parents find me, they're going to be so mad at me. I'm going to be in so much trouble. i got to stay hidden because if they find me, I'm in trouble. Can I tell you what Mega did when she laid eyes on Simon? She reached down. She picked that kid up. She hugged him so tight. And she said, don't you ever do that to me again. Well it wasn't it wasn't frustration and mad no no it was relief that he was finally back in our arms you know what i mean and if we as as bad uh, messed up people know how to love our children right how much more does god in heaven know how to love his children right You know, Jesus tells us of this story that we find in Luke chapter 15 of this boy who who took his inheritance from his father and he ran off and he lived wildly and he wasted everything he had and he got to the point where he had nothing and he found himself uh, working for a man feeding pigs, which was a thing that should not have happened to a young Jewish boy but it was happening to him and he got to the point where he was so hungry he wanted to eat the pig's food and he told himself, he said, "If, if my my father's servants have it better than me right now you know what I'll do I'm just gonna finally just suck it up I'm gonna go back to my father and I'll be one of his hired servants and so he goes his way back to this to the land, and the Bible tells us Jesus is telling this story. I love it because it's the description of, of the nature of God. And he says that while, his, while the boy was still a long way off, the father sees him, which tells us the father was looking for him. And when he sees him, the father gets up and runs to him, which is a big deal because Jewish men in that day did not get up and run. That was not a sophisticated thing to do. But Jesus says, no, when he sees his son, he gets up and he runs out to him, and he embraces him and he throws a ring on his finger and a cloak on his back and he rejoices. He says, kill the fatted calf because we're about to throw a party. Why? Because my son who was lost is now found. My son who was dead is now alive, friend. That is the heart of Jesus. That, is, that, is, that when he sees you, you do not have to hide. You are not the enemy of God. God sent his son Jesus on the cross to die for us so we could be restored to him. And I just wonder, I wonder if there's some people today hey, you're sitting in this room, you're like, man, but what if, you know, my mom used to say this statement, she'd be like, oh, I can't go to church, why, because if I go in that church, God might strike it with lightning and burn it down, that mentality is like, I'm hiding from God, convinced God can't find me out there, but if I pop in here, he's going to see me, (laughs) it's like, you ever read the the book of Jonah, Jonah's like, I served the God of the land and the sea, but he was trying to run from God on the sea, how dumb was that? (laughs) should have known better. You know, the Bible is riddled with stories where people tried to hide from God. Adam and Eve, in the Old Testament, they sin, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then God comes down and they're, they're hiding out, afraid. And, and God has to say, where are you? They're hiding. Why? Because they're convinced they're an enemy. Humanity, our our nature is convinced that God will treat us like our enemy because we messed up. But the gospel is the opposite. It is that, that we have messed up so bad, the only solution, the only answer is found in Jesus. So he sent his son to die on a cross to be raised from the dead three days later so that we can be restored and have life and have it abundantly. It's a powerful message of the gospel. And, and I love it because we see Mephibosheth here and Mephibosheth so clear. to me represents humanity. And David here so clearly represents the heart of God. David, a man after God's own heart. He said, I have a, what did he tell Mephibosheth? He goes, hey, look, You have a home that you abandoned. I'm giving it back to you. Uh, You have land uh, that that you've walked away from. I'm giving it back to you. Uh, And on top of that, uh, you can't work that land, but I'm going to make sure you have enough people to work that land, to be able to eat from that land. So that's all taken care of as well. And then in addition to all that, I just want you to know, Mephibosheth, this is my table, and from now on, you will eat from my table. The king's table, the best food, the best of everything, you'll find it here in this table. You will always have access to this like you were a son yourself. It's the heart of God. See, if we flip into the New Testament, Jesus has a table just the same. Uh, If you look in uh, to to Luke chapter 22, uh, uh, there's a story of um, what we call uh, the Passover meal, the last supper. Let me ask you a question. If you had one day left to live, what would you do? Now, if you got a family and kids, that that maybe that's an easy answer. It's like, oh, I'd hang out with my family. I'd spend that last day. Maybe there's something that you wanted to see, one thing that you wanted to do. Maybe there's something you've always been afraid of. You're like, oh, I'd go try that out. One day left to live. What would you do? Jesus had one day left to live. Luke 22 talks about a Thursday. The Thursday before Good Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified, the Thursday before the resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, it's the last full day on earth that Jesus would experience. The next day would be full of suffering. And what did he choose to do on his final day? He chose to serve his followers. He, he, he throws a meal. Luke twenty-two fifteen 15 says this, I have eagerly awaited to eat this Passover meal with you. Eagerly, Jesus had awaited this moment to sit down at a table and enjoy it with his disciples, to teach them again. You know, and I think about that table. If you've ever thought about the table, I always wonder what it looked like, what it felt like. Uh, Many of you might have an image of the Last Supper painting that's done where they all sit on one side like it's a sitcom. That's probably probably not how it was actually set up. You know, I wonder about that. What was on that table? Um, You know, Jesus still has a table for us today, and there's some things on that table that are for us. The first and the most obvious one, uh, this is when Jesus establishes communion, which we took this morning. He established it, and he he took the cup, and he says, This cup represents my blood, which was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Did you know at the table of Jesus, there was forgiveness for you and for I? It's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. And the reason why is because I do not remember a single day in my life I have ever been perfect. Anybody else? Is it just me? I don't have a day in my life where I had it all together and everything was perfect and I made no mistakes. No, I have always been flawed, but by the grace of God, there is forgiveness of sins when I come to his table come on and and it's here and it's available and it's for you that's why he went to the cross and that's why his blood was shed and that's why when God looks down on people who call Jesus Christ their Lord and their Savior he does not see our sin he sees the blood of Christ which washes away our sin and makes us clean and make us whole we are not righteous because of our own works no we are made righteous by the works of Christ on the cross come on it's a beautiful story of the gospel that's available at the table of Jesus not only is the 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 cup, the blood, uh, the wine, but also the bread. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Anybody like bread? Come on, somebody. Uh, In in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus calls himself, he says, I am the bread of life. Aren't you glad he didn't say I'm the kale of life? I'm the spinach of life. I'm the fat-free yogurt of life. No, he said I'm the bread of life. Come on. I turned 40 in like three months. You know what I want? I want just a big table of pastries, you know, like chocolate pastries and like fancy breads. Man, I could eat bread. I love bread. Come on. So to talk about from the biblical standpoint, I guess, let's get there. Uh, Bread of life. Jesus said, I was having a moment, guys, I'm sorry. Um, The bread of life, what that represents is the sustaining power of Christ, that, that Jesus has the ability to sustain you when you can't sustain yourself. Have you ever said this to yourself? Like, have you ever been in a situation where you feel like the entire world was placed on your shoulders and you were like, God, if you put one more thing on me, I'm going to break. I can't handle this anymore. I can't handle everything. I can't handle the mess. I can't handle the people. I can't handle one more thing. Well, friend, the beauty is, is that at the table of Christ, there is the power to sustain you through the work of Christ. And when you think you just can't handle one more thing that's good news because Christ can handle it for you he is the bread of life maybe you've walked through something before and you got on the other side and you're like I don't know how that was possible how did I make it through all that mess because Christ is the ability to sustain us through the hardest times in life that's at the table of Jesus also at the table of Jesus is grace I love grace Sometimes we confuse it with just forgiveness um, because we just think, ah, oh, grace to forgive. Uh, so if I mess up, God's grace helps me be forgiven of my sin. Where well, that's true. That's a partial story of God's grace. But Paul tells us this. He says, for if by God's grace shall we go on sinning, and the answer is by no means. Yeah, that's exactly, nope, that's not what it's about. That the grace of God gives us the ability not only to be forgiven of sin, but it actually gives us the ability to not be trapped and in bondage to sin any longer. It actually gives us the ability to say no to the things we're not supposed to do. Paul's, Paul's language like this too, he said, he goes, I keep doing the things I don't want to do and everything I know I should do, I don't do. And we find ourselves in that position as human beings, but we have to understand the grace of God. God helps not only forgive us of sins, but helps us not walk into them as well. Come on, that's the power of grace. I'm running through those quickly because I understand there's only so much time. Another thing at the table of Jesus, I love this one, is is compassion or mercy. Now, the Gospels. I, I, there's four of them in the New Testament: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, in that order. And uh, one of those, the Gospel of Luke. I love the Gospel of Luke. I love its writings. I love, I love the way Luke describes things. And if you look at the Gospel of Luke, you'll find often throughout that text that Luke addresses the way Jesus interacted with displaced people, marginalized people, people who are pushed to the outside. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples. One is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the, the rich dude, the rich tax collector. He had more money, but he had no real friends. And uh, Jesus went to where he was at and he looked at Zacchaeus. And he said, I want to go have dinner at your house. And the story of that is Jesus interacted with the man that the, the religious elite would have said, never touch him because he's bad. He's bad for people. He's, he's just messed up. And Jesus was, went to his house, had dinner with him, that man received salvation on that day and makes right all the wrongs he had ever done, all from a single interaction with Jesus. It was a marginalized man uh, because of his profession. Uh, the stories of women, of uh, of people who were uh, prostitutes and women that he had encountered that that the world would push to the side, but yet he drew them in and embraced them. There's, there's, a, there's a story in there uh, in the Gospel of Luke about Jesus' interaction with lepers. Lepers would have to put bells around their uh, garments so people could hear them coming to know to stay away. You know, they were like, oh, you can get what I got. So I have to stay outside the city and Jesus would go and embrace them because he has mercy mercy and compassion. He believes in mercy and compassion so much he's called his church to it. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, we know this because he says that in the last days he will separate his people like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will look to one of them and he says, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you you came and you visited me. Come on, the, the story of the church is to be the ones who reach out and, and help the ones who've never been helped before. It's the it's a story of mercy and compassion, and it's available at the table of Jesus. These are powerful things. You know, this is not the only things, but there's great things at this table. Uh, have you ever been to a family dinner before where people brought food over? Yeah. Any food you have? Okay. Uh, when Growing up, I had an Uncle Gary. Uncle Gary was a fantastic cook, and he made the best desserts you could ever taste. And I remember I was 10 years old, and um, he made— A homemade Snickers cheesecake. Come on. If I close my eyes long enough, I can still taste it. I'm telling you, almost 30 years ago, man, it was so good. Do you know the rules at the dessert table at a family dinner when everybody brings dessert? Here's the rule. In case your kids have ever done this and you got mad at them, it's okay. They're following the rules. Here's the rule. Get one of everything. Come on, somebody. Don't (laughs) skip on the dessert table. Don't do it. Um, And so uh, if you get one of everything, you can go back and get more of the one you like the most. But here's the thing about family dinners. Um, You got someone in your family, like my Uncle Gary, who can just cook. And then you have someone else in your family who thinks they can cook. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You you get all this stuff in front of you, and Aunt Sue's like, guys, don't you worry. I brought my asparagus casserole this year. I know y'all love it. I know you love it. You're going to eat it up like you do every year. It's so good. Everybody loves my asparagus casserole when secretly no one in the family wants to touch that asparagus casserole, but y'all keep letting her make it because you feel bad. Come on, and... You know, you got two options when you get to Aunt Sue's asparagus casserole. I'll tell you the two options real quick. Uh, One is you can get there and be the first person to cut into it. You will be the first person. And you put it on your plate. And you put the rest of your food on your plate. You eat the good stuff. You leave the asparagus casserole. Take your napkin. Put it on top of the asparagus casserole when you walk by Aunt Sue. Toss it in the trash can. She'll never know. But... Next year when she brings it back, it's your fault because you took some and acted like you like it. The other option is just let it be and let Aunt Sue see reality that asparagus casserole should not even exist and, and just move on, you know. Here's the thing. At a potluck family dinner, there's some good stuff. There's some bad stuff. At Jesus' table, there is no bad stuff. It's all good every single one of it's all good and god says you can have one of everything you can come back for seconds have as much as you want as much you need it's all good aren't you glad it's all good the stuff at jesus table the the problem is though there's still people in the room right now and you're like yeah that's great i'm glad jesus has good stuff at his table but but that's for good people like pastor eddie that's for good people like you that's not for people like me can i tell you nothing could be further from the truth First off, there is none of us that are righteous. None. None. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all, every single one of us. Can we take a moment and look at the people that was around this table of Jesus at this last moment here? Let's do this. First off, there was a man named John. John wrote the, the, the Gospel of John, fourth book in the, in the Bible. That's the one where Jesus calls himself the bread of life, John. John wrote in his Gospel... <laughs> I love John's take on himself. John called himself John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Did you know Matthew does not call John John the disciple whom Jesus loved? Mark doesn't call him that. Luke doesn't call him that. John, who wrote the gospel of John, refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love that about John, and I bet you there's a few Johns in this room where you just know that you know that you know that Jesus loves you and you are proud (laughs) about it. Can I tell you I love it? Why? Because there's a seat for you at the table of Jesus. Come on, that's beautiful. But I don't know. Sometimes I don't feel like I connect too much to John's thinking of himself. I feel a little bit more like Peter, the guy who constantly put his foot in his mouth. You know. <laughs> Peter constantly, at, let's just look at this, this supper alone, this last supper, this last moment with Jesus. At this last supper, the thing that Jesus did first is he washed their feet, and he washed the disciples' feet, and he gets to Peter, and Peter goes, no. Could you imagine telling Jesus no? Sure you can, you've done it before. Um, <laughs> ah, I just, <laughs> hey! <laughs> I'm back up, just in case, you know. But he gets to Jesus he's like, he's like no you will not wash my feet and Jesus looks at him and goes oh if I don't wash your feet you have no place in my kingdom Peter goes oh then wash my whole body he's like nah Peter we'll stick to the feet you know Even in this moment at this meal, uh, there was a point where Jesus is talking about his death, and Peter's like, I'll follow you to your death. Jesus like, I'm with you, man. I'm there. And Jesus looks at Peter and he's like, what are you talking about? Before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny even knowing me three times. He's like, you're going to walk away from me. You're going to abandon me in less than 12 hours. Don't have so much self-confidence in what you think you're going to do. Uh, Just pause for a second. Uh, But here's what's interesting to me. He knew knew that Peter was going to abandon him. Uh, He knew Peter stuck his foot in his mouth all the time, yet he still had a seat at that table. Come on. There's a disciple. His name was James. He's the brother of John. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. James was called James the Greater. Uh, James uh, was a bold guy. I love, I love James. James was the first disciple, the first out of the apostles, the 12, that was martyred for his faith. Uh, And uh, not the first believer. That was Stephen. He's the first apostle, disciple. And in his way to be executed for believing in Jesus, he begins to proclaim the gospel to the guard that are taking him to be executed. Could you imagine? You're about to die, and you're like, you know what? All I want to do is get one more person to heaven. Come on. So he's, he's talking about the gospel, and he's proclaiming the, the goodness of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And, and all of a sudden, on the way to be executed, to be beheaded, one of the Roman soldiers that is taking him there stops and says, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. History tells us this. And so what happens is they get to the place of execution and James lays his head down and the Roman soldier who accepted Christ laid his head down beside him. And that day both of them were executed. You have to be a bold guy to go out and proclaim the gospel to that degree that someone knows that it is certain death to accept Jesus. But certain death did not matter because the goodness of God was far greater than what he would experience in that point. Come on. He was bold and maybe you're bold. Maybe you're just like that guy guy who keeps, keeps talking about it. God has a seat for you at the table of Jesus come on Andrew the next disciple oh man sometimes I feel bad for Andrew if I'm being honest sometimes I wonder if I'm Andrew you'll understand that in a minute but James and John those four the four first disciples called Jesus said come follow me they dropped their nets and went and followed Jesus it was James and John Peter and Andrew. Technically, it was Peter and Andrew first, James, John, second. Brothers, brothers. And the way the disciples worked, there was 12 disciples, but three of them had special access. Three of them went into the room when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. Three of them went to the Mount of Transfiguration. Three of them went just a little bit further in the Garden of Gethsemane. uh, Three of them had special access. Those three that had special access, by the way, James, John, Peter. And I just wonder if there were times Andrew was like, come on, why didn't you pick me? I wonder if there were times Andrew was like, I'm just so close, but yet I'm so far away. I wonder if he felt like there were things that, that, that in his life that he wanted, but the, he, just, he just too far out of reach. And you might think to yourself, there's no way a disciple, he's one of the 12, would think that way. Well, let's just talk about the context of this dinner. Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me today. You're going to sell me out. That's the, he's talking about Judas. One of you are going to do this. And all of a sudden, they begin to accuse each other of who is going to do it. And then it turned into uh, this competition of who was greater than one another. That's when Jesus said, look, y'all have messed it all up. The greatest among you should be like the least. The one, uh, the oldest should be like the youngest. The one who leads like the one who serves. Come on. That, that's what that story is telling. So the, this idea of greatness, who's greater, who's better, was rampant throughout the disciples. We can see that in the text. So it's not a far reach to wonder if Andrew was like, man, I was the second one he called. But I wasn't. In the three, I, I wasn't a part of that chosen group. I wonder if there were times he just felt like in life the things that he desired were just the dreams were just a little bit farther out of reach. And the beauty is, is even with that kind of thinking, Jesus had a seat for him at the table. And you know, when you the problem with that thinking is when you only consider the things that are far out here, you forget about the things that are right here. <laughs> Man, why don't I have the food they have when I got the food right here? You you let this spoil while putting your attention out there. But even in that, he had a seat at the table. There was four guys you may have never heard of before. Philip Thaddeus, James the Lesser, and Bartholomew. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Let's just start with this. James the Lesser. Ouch. (laughs) Could you imagine how if that's how you were referred to that's james the greater i'm james the lesser like at your work you're like oh that's the good bobby i'm the bad bobby i'm the mediocre one you know what i'm saying He's better than me. I'm the lesser one. That would be tough. Bartholomew, his his name actually has royal descent. So people believe he's of a royal line, but yet he's barely mentioned in the gospel. Could you imagine being in a position where you were barely even mentioned, yet you came from royal descent? And the the things and that, or uh, the Philip and Thaddeus, those guys have, they've been called by different names in the scripture. Like... Like, there's, there's multiple names. It's Actually, it's Thaddeus and Bartholomew, I think. But uh, they, they call them different names. Thaddeus is, uh, other name is Judas. Could you imagine, like, like, you share the name of the dude who betrayed Jesus. You stop somebody like, you're Judas? No, 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 I'm not. Ju- you know what, just call me Thaddeus. Just, just call me Thaddeus. You're so little known, they're barely mentioned in the scripture. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like no one sees you. No one knows you. No one understands you. No one, you just feel like you're alone in a crowded room. Can I tell you, Jesus sees you, and he has a place for you at his table. They, they, they ate the same food. They sat at the same table. And even if you feel like, there's, like no one sees you, no one knows what's going on in your life, Jesus has not missed you. He has not overlooked you. He has got a table set of great and wonderful things just for you. Uh, there's, there's two more guys, um, and, um, man. All right. One guy, his name is Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. And there's another guy. I'm going to put him on the other sides of the table, though Jesus didn't do this. The other guy, his name is Simon, and he's a zealot. Now, to help you understand what that means, for those of you who may not understand it, Matthew, the tax collector, worked for the Roman government. That was his job. That's how he made money, and that's how he made his enemies because they were upset that he took money from them and gave it to the Roman government. That's a different conversation. Simon the Zealot was a part of a political religious sect called Zealots, and their whole goal and mission in life was to overthrow the Roman government with great force and physicality. So from a political perspective, these guys couldn't be further from themselves, yet Jesus set them at the same table, which is interesting to me. Uh, it makes me think of, uh, before the first service, uh, I was talking to Pastor Eddie, and I was like, oh yeah, me and, the, me and the boys went to the LAFC LA Galaxy game on Friday night. And he's like, oh, the Galaxy win? And I was like, oh, well, actually LAFC won, but we were rooting for them. Uh, So we were happy, and his face, like, looked down like he was sad. (laughs) Like, you rooted for the LAFC? You know what? There's going to be people who are fans of LAFC and LA Galaxy both in heaven. Did you know that? (laughs) Did you know that? And and there might be some opposites of of thinking at times, but there's a place. them, And Jesus did not put one of them at the kiddie table while the other one's at the big table because they couldn't get along. No. He put them at the same place, gave them the same food. Can I tell you? There's going to be people when we get to heaven. We're like, what? Oh, man, I w No, I don't have time. I wanna I was <laughs> have you ever wondered when we get to heaven and and like like I think a church is sometimes never mind, I can't do it, Pastor Eddie. <laughs> Church, church should look like heaven, and heaven ain't all white, heaven ain't all black, heaven ain't all Hispanic. It is all of us, uh, every single one of us. The body of Christ today, uh, it's not like we have an arm over here going, I have no need of my foot over here. No, we all need each other. We're all in this together. If you're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, come on, let's lift those things up, and let's understand, this story alone of these two guys living together for three years They followed Jesus together. I'm sure at the beginning there was some fights because they disagreed on some things ideologically. But when they set that down and they picked up the kingdom mentality, I believe that's when things begin to change. If you only view someone because their ideology is different from you, you'll always be their enemy. But if you can carry the same kingdom cause, you'll always be united in what Christ has called you to. Pick up the kingdom. Pick up the kingdom. Lay down the other side, pick up the kingdom. There's a guy named Thomas. He's at the table. Um, Thomas, I may feel, I feel bad for Thomas. Thomas, have you ever heard the phrase doubting Thomas? Yeah, doubting Thomas. You know, that comes from Thomas in the Bible. Thomas, the apostle, Thomas 1 of the 12. Thomas, the man who was martyred for his faith, doubting Thomas. We call him doubting Thomas. Did you know he's written in the the scriptures a couple times in the gospels? And when we talk about Thomas, you can actually see he's actually a man of great faith. He's got a lot of faith. You can see it in the way he talks about things earlier in the Gospels. I think he's mentioned two or three times. You can see it by the way he lives his life after this moment. But there was a time after the, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the women were like, oh, Jesus is risen from the dead. I love that the women were the first to proclaim it. And typical men, they didn't believe him. They had to go see for them. Yeah. They come, they proclaim it. But Thomas was like, I don't believe it. I'll believe he rose from the dead when I could put my fingers in the scars in his hand and put my fingers in the scars in his side. That, that's when I'll believe. He walked with him for three years. Jesus, the, sometimes I feel like the disciples are boneheaded because Jesus told them constantly he would die and raise from the dead, yet they still didn't believe it when it happened. And Thomas had this moment of, of great doubt. Just one moment. And for the last 2,000 years, We've identified him from a single worst moment. And maybe you're here today and you feel like the only thing people know you as is the worst thing you've ever done. The time you got arrested, the time uh, you were dealing with massive drug addiction, the time that you got divorced, the time that you made this mistake or that mistake. And you feel like anytime someone sees you, all they can see is the worst mistake you've ever made. Can I tell you, I could see that in the story of Thomas, but Jesus gave him a seat at the table and a purpose and a passion and a ministry that followed up after it. if you're in this room today and you feel like the only thing people ever see you as is the worst mistake you've ever made, can I tell you, Jesus does not see you that way. God does not see you that way. The Bible says that he takes your sin and he casts it into a sea of forgetfulness. God chooses to forget that worst mistake when you give it to Jesus. And today when he sees you, he sees son and daughter of the Most High God. He sees someone with purpose and and passion and, and a future ahead of you. He sees someone who has the promises of God laid out for them. Come on. You are not the worst thing you've ever done. No, you are a son or a daughter of God. Come on church can you give a loud amen on that one more guy one more guy and I want to be done the last guy oh man easy to hate this guy his name's Judas here's the thing um by the way um never mind John John in his gospels was like uh yeah Judas was doing this the whole time but at the table he wasn't 100% sure Hindsight was 20, 20 for him. At the table, they didn't know who was gonna betray Jesus. But after the fact, they looked back and they were like, oh yeah, John was taking money from the till. He was, or Judas was taking money from the till. He was doing some stuff. I don't know that the disciples knew what he was doing, but I do know that Jesus knew. Because at the table, Jesus said, one of you is gonna betray me so he knew he knew that before this dinner Judas had decided to betray him Judas had decided the cost what it would cost 30 pieces of silver Jesus is such a better person than me because I think at this point I would have been like you know what buddy you might as well not come in you don't have a seat just me not, not, not do out no. Jesus didn't do that though Jesus left him a seat at that table and he let him eat. Now, I've wondered why would he do that? Why did Jesus allow Judas to eat at the table when he knew already he was going to betray him? Here's what I believe. I am fully convinced that if Judas would have turned his heart back towards God and he would have repented of the sin that he did, that he had been fully forgiven of his wrongdoing and made right with God all over again. And the reason why is the word of God tells us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I I believe that he was almost like going, hey, I love you and you still have a chance. Here's the thing. Our badness doesn't change Christ in his goodness. Sometimes we think because I'm bad, it means God can't love me. But no, no, we, our badness does not determine the goodness of God. God is good all in of himself and he will continue to be who he is for all of eternity because he's the Alpha, the Omega, he does not change. He is the beginning and the end. Come on, that that God loves you no matter how many mistakes you've made. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you feel, there's a seat for you at the table of Jesus. And I want to pray for some people. Can you do me a favor? Stand to your feet. I'm sure you're tired of sitting down. Stand to your feet. And as I was praying about today, and I was just thinking about those disciples. Um, <laughs> you know what? I really thought I was going to talk to you more about Thomas in this moment. Because that's, that's what I felt. But I don't know, in this service, I, Andrew, You got all these dreams, you got all these hopes. You got all these things that you just want and you're believing for, but yet you just feel like they're just out of your reach. You feel like you're coming up short in life. You feel like like you've gotten to an age now where you can't do the thing God had called you to because you're too old. You've made too many mistakes. Every dream, every purpose, every plan just feels like it's too far out of reach. And today when I, Talked about that, you, you felt something hit you on the inside. Almost like you told yourself, yeah, I'm Andrew. If somebody here probably said, I'm Andrew and I'll always be Andrew, I'm never going to be part of, the, part of the inner crowd. You almost convicted yourself right off the beginning. I believe the Holy Spirit of God is here this morning to remind you that you are loved, that you are a son, that you are a daughter that God has purposes for you. And just because someone else is doing something great doesn't mean what you're doing is any less than. That the testimony that God has given you can see people's lives changed. I believe God might be telling you today that don't be so focused out here that you forget about what's right here in front of you. I don't know, I don't know what went through your mind in that last little bit there, but I wanna pray for you today, whether or not, whether you felt like Andrew or like one of the other ones. So across the room, maybe you could take a moment just for personal reflection. Maybe you could close your eyes. and If you're here today and that message spoke to you, maybe you feel like a Peter who always sticks your foot in your mouth. Maybe you feel like a Thomas who's always been known for the worst thing you've ever done. Maybe you feel like an Andrew who's just got stuff too far to reach. I believe the Holy Spirit of God is here and wants to minister to you today. If you say, hey, that's me, that message spoke to me, I'd just love to take a moment and pray for you. Just cross this room, if that's you, just throw your hand up in the air and I'd love to just take a moment for anybody who wants to respond to that message. I'm not gonna ask you to come up front, but I'd love to pray for you. I see hands up all over the room. Can we pray? Church, we thank you, God, for who you are. I thank you, God, for each and every soul in this room, for every man, woman, and child. I thank you, God, that you're moving. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you, God, for your love i thank you god that you call us your sons and your daughters we are your children and i thank you god that your word declares that you have good things for us and i just pray for every hand that is raised right now holy spirit you do a deep work within them god not just in their mind but in their soul in their heart, deep within them to remind them who you have called them to be what you have called them to do god to let them trust in your word to trust in who you are and i thank you i thank you god i thank you god that you're moving in people's lives. I thank you, God, that each and every person in this room has a seat at your table. In Jesus' name, amen. One last thing I want to do. I want to, in a room this size, between the people in here and the people watching online today, there's great potential that there'd be some people in the room today that would find themselves far away from God. Maybe you're, new to church just came in today you've you've never given your life to jesus you've never even heard the gospel before can i tell you friend that the gospel is for you the good news of jesus that he went to a cross and he died but not only did he die he rose from the dead so that you and i could have life and have it abundantly And if you're in this room today and you find yourself far away from God, can I tell you, just like Luke 15, he's leaning over the balcony of heaven, searching for those who would return to him so he can embrace you and hug you and pull you in tight and put his identity marker on you and call you his son and daughter. And he's ready. He says, all of heaven's going to celebrate and rejoice because in Luke 15, he says, all of heaven celebrates and rejoices over one, just one person who was lost and has found one person who is dead and alive. And we love to celebrate in here this morning if you are here today and you know you're far away from God maybe you've said yes to Jesus before but life's just hit you hard and today you know you're not serving God like you should be today you know you're not close to him like you once were and today you want to recommit your life back to God I'm talking to you as well So I'll just do this like I do it at home across this room. Can we bow our heads one more time? If you're a Christian, can you begin to pray for those around you who have not yet said yes to Jesus? And if you're here today and you know you're far away from God, you've never said yes to Jesus, uh, or uh, you once did, but you've walked away. And today you wanna make a decision in this service with these people to recommit your life back to Christ or to commit your life to Christ for the first time in a moment, I'll count to three and you can just throw your hand in the air high enough and long enough for me to see it. I'll know who I'm praying with, who I'm praying for, and you can put your hand back down. But if you're here today and you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to say yes to his grace, yes to his mercy, yes to his love, yes to his forgiveness, yes to his compassion, friend, it is available to you. All of God's food is good and it is for you. And if you're here today and you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time or come back to him, just simply on the count of three, throw that hand in the air. One, two three all across the room all across the room come on bold faith come on i see hands all across the room come on if there's anybody else and you want to say yes to jesus today just raise that hand up high enough and long enough for me to see it amen 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 all right church look up at me what's heaven doing right now it's celebrating it's rejoicing come on let's join in heaven let's join in heaven all the angels are rejoicing the bible says that they were far away from god Yet today you've returned. We're gonna say a prayer together as we close this out. So if we could all join in this prayer together, and this is what I would say, this is not the end point of Christianity. Cool, I said a prayer, now I go to heaven. No, this is the start point. Cool, I've said a prayer, now I can walk this journey out with God. Can we all pray together? Everybody say, Father God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. Not only did he die, he rose from the dead. Three days later, giving me life and giving it to me abundantly. I now turn from my old ways and give my life to you. You are now my Lord, you are now my Savior, and I am now a Christian. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.
0: Your voice this morning just tell them you're so good god wow i don't know but did, did anybody just fall in love with the harold family from wave wilson i don't know did, does restoration life want pastor bobby back to come and visit us with his wife megan Simon, thank you so much for allowing your dad to use you in most of his illustrative services. My son Christian is up there. He knows what that feels like. And uh, man, wow, what a great word. You have a seat at the table of Jesus. Man, and you know what? There's a banquet in heaven being prepared for when we go home. There is a banquet in heaven and you got a seat at that table too. Pastor Bobby, Megan, and family, thank you so much for coming to be with the Restoration Life family. We honor you. Uh, Love Steve and Sharon. Your pastor's incredible. And man, Restoration Life, what a great word. You got to go back and listen to that. Listen, Tuesday night... Uh, We're getting ready to graduate our DNA growth track here next Sunday. We're having graduations. Uh, I I got a word that God's put on my heart for next Sunday. Midweek, we're going through the fruit of the spirit. So if you haven't been at church in midweek for a long time, come to Midweek Revival. And then don't forget about our picnic. Make sure that you prepare yourself for the picnic. We're going to have a great time together. Turn around give somebody a high five for one more minute. And we love you. We'll see you next week. Have an incredible week in Jesus' name.